We're halfway through today. We've had uh, two passages behind us. We have two ahead of us, so we're right in the middle. We're, we're going along and looking at Barnabas and his ministry and his life, what little we know of it, and, and looking for those things that we can apply to our own lives to, to shape us. The last time we saw Barnabas, just a week ago, Saul had become a Christian. Saul, who persecuted the church, showed up in Jerusalem where he had thrown people in jail, had gone door to door to enforce his ways. And now he was going door to door hoping they'd take him in. And they didn't want to have anything to do with him. But Barnabas reached out to him took hold of him and brought him to the, the apostles and the elders, spoke on his behalf, and brought Saul into the fellowship of the church. And of course, then Saul had to leave to go to Tarsus because the, Jew, the uh, Hellenistic Jews were threatening his life. And this, this business about Greeks and Jews, it's starting to, 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 to hit a point that's going to be very important in the story of Acts. After... After that experience, we move back to Peter. And Peter is arrested, and he escapes the prison, and he uh, has ministry opportunity. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. That comes after our passage. Instead, what happens, Peter goes to a town in Joppa. And while he's ministering and going around, a man named Cornelius, who's a Roman, sends word to Peter to come and preach to him. And when he does that, uh, God tells Peter to go with him. And, and God uses this dream where Peter is asleep on the roof and he sees a, a, a sheet lowered down with all sorts of ceremonially unclean animals. These are the animals that a Jewish person would not eat. And a voice from heaven says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. I won't do that. That's unclean. I'm... I don't do those things. And God tells him, what I have called clean, don't you call it unclean. And this happens several times. And then when the men from Cornelius show up, Peter understands this, this was God trying to get me to understand. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about the food. He was talking about other people who eat this kind of food. And so he was willing to go with them, and he was willing to enter into Cornelius' house, and as he's preaching to the people there, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And he says, well, the, God hasn't withheld the Holy Spirit. Who are we to withhold baptism? And so he baptizes them. Now this word gets back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem isn't so sure about what's happening in other places. They take Peter to issue. I mean, think of this. Think of this. Peter. The one whom God said, you're going to, you know, you're, you're Peter. The one who stood up and is probably responsible for most of these people first hearing the gospel. They take him to task. Why are you sharing the gospel with Gentiles? Why are you baptizing Gentiles? And so he explains to them everything that happened. And he explains to them the vision. And he explains to them the Holy Spirit coming on them. And at the end of it all, he says, look, you know, the Holy Spirit was on them. Who am I to say no? And everybody else kind of says, well, I'll be. I guess, I guess Gentiles can be saved too. 
That is literally their response. Well, I'll be. Who would have thunk? I guess Gentiles can get saved too. I, and, and, but they're not quite used to this idea. And we see this kind of behavior on a, on a, on a still happening today on a regular basis. You know, some, some church in some uh, state or, or local convention will make a decision. They'll be doing something, whether it's though they, 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 you know, have people within their church that are members that the Southern Baptist Convention isn't so sure about you doing that, or, or they, they call a pastor that the Southern Baptist isn't too, you know, in agreement with that. They'll, they'll, they'll check it out. They're, they're not their local. They're not part of the decision. They just hear about it after the fact, and then they want to go and enforce things and check up on things. And sometimes it's, uh, sometimes there is sin going on. Sometimes there is unrighteousness going on. But other times it's just a power struggle. And we see that within Jerusalem. And we see that within the early church. That, that there developed these power struggles. Who has, who has the final say? You know, there, were, there were certain areas, even as we go into you know, a couple of hundred years after this, you had Jerusalem and Antioch area, and you had, you had Egypt and Alexandria. Then you had Italy and Rome. And you started having these different sections of the world and they would make their own decisions about things and then the word would travel. And then they'd have arguments about who had the right to say what other people could do. This is how we ended up with the Roman Catholic Church and not the Alexandrian Catholic Church. Because that fight was won by the bishop in Rome. So this is something that, this is the way the church is operating and and you know, here's Peter saying, "Who am I that I could stand in God's way?" You know, and they're all saying, "Well, I guess God's given repentance that leads to salvation to the Gentiles too." Hmm. Not sure about this. And that's where we pick up in chapter eleven. If you'll recall, when Stephen was martyred, Paul started this, or Paul Saul started this persecution of the church, and people were scattered. All through the world. And, and in, in verse 19, we read in chapter 11 of Acts, verse 19, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now this is probably a recap of what has happened in the last four chapters, not talking about since Peter came back from Cornelius. So, so while Peter is having this experience, and he's the first one to really preach to Gentiles, I know we had Philip and the, the Ethiopian eunuch who was a proselyte, he was not a Jew, but he was desiring to follow the Jewish God. Here you have uh, people who are traveling around, and so they just whether they're, they're militantly anti-Gentile, it's most likely just they view the Christianity as a Jewish faith. It's the, I mean, really, what we are doing, what we are a part of is the fulfillment of what started all the way back in the garden, but then Abraham, your descendants will be as many as the stars. Paul ties into Abraham in Romans, talking about those who are descendants of uh, faith, those who believe are the true 
descendants of Abraham, not those of the blood, but of the faith. What began through the law of Moses is culminated in the cross. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. That's what is going on. And so it's natural for them to look to only Jews and to share the news with fellow Jews that the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, arrived. And He has given us salvation through His death and resurrection. And if we believe in Him, we have that salvation. It's not even in their minds to share it with Gentiles. Gentiles, are they worship those Greek gods. They worship those Roman gods. They'll worship anything you put on a plate for them. You know, they, they don't worship the one true God. They're not part of this, this work. And so that's what they're doing, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But in verse 20 we're told, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you got uh, Cyprus is an island there in the Mediterranean. Cyrene is where present-day Libya is. So you have these these believers who are from uh, northern Africa, and you've got them from Cyprus, and they happen to come to Antioch. But they're not just sharing with other Jews. They're sharing with Gentiles too. They're they're talking with anybody. And they're preaching and sharing the word of uh, the word to them and, and preaching the Lord Jesus. And we're told in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So, so they're doing a, this great ministry and Gentiles are starting to come to the faith and, and they're believing what they're being told even though they weren't raised in Judaism. They're, they're converting over and they're leaving their they are pagan gods and they're coming to Christ. And after a while, the number of them is growing to the point where in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And so what happens is Jerusalem says, whoa, strange news coming out of Antioch. I'm not sure what's going on. We might need to we might need to stop something. We might need to nip it in the bud, you might say, before it takes over too much. And what do they do? Do they send one of the, one of the elders? Do they send one of the apostles? No. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And I think there's some strategic reasons to send Barnabas. For one, we learned uh, earlier that he, in chapter 4, right there at the end of the chapter, we learned that uh, Barnabas is a Levite of Cyprian birth. So he's from Cyprus. Some of the people that are doing this business, this work, are from Cyprus. So he is a kinsman to them more than, say, a Jew who's grown up in Jerusalem would be. So he's, he's understanding of them. Now that, that could be a problem. What if he's too sympathetic? What if he gives in to their way of doing things even though it's wrong because he's so close to them. And I think that's one of the reasons why they send Barnabas. Barnabas is a, a man of integrity. He's a straight shooter. He's not going to go along with it just because it's his kinfolk. He's going to say, no, this is right or that's wrong. I've known of churches, we've been in a church that it wasn't happening while we were there, but you know, sin sin. It doesn't matter if the person who's committing it's related to you. Sin is sin. But even in good, 
churches, the love of the person can overcome the love for Christ. And we can turn a blind eye to things that shouldn't be going on because of who is doing it. That's no good. That's wickedness and evilness, and that is sin. And that's who Barnabas is not. Barnabas is the type of guy who he does the right thing. And he's not going to be swayed. Doesn't matter how forceful, how powerful, he is not going to be swayed. And so they send him there because, and here, why does he get sent there? I think because Barnabas has proven to be trustworthy. He started doing a little thing. Remember, what did he do? He sold some property and he gave the proceeds to the church. He, 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 as an act of worship, he sold what he had and he gave it to the church. So he gave something that was his. The next thing he did was when Paul, or forgive me, all right, Saul came to Jerusalem. He doesn't go by Paul yet. So when Saul came to Jerusalem and he wanted to associate with the church and the church was afraid of him, Barnabas was not. And Barnabas went out and got him and brought him in. Now, if that had blown up in his face, maybe he wouldn't have been sent off to Antioch. But because he was proved to be right in his actions, because it worked out, because Saul was a believer, and they recognized in Barnabas his uh, perception that he was able to perceive what was going on, he discerned that Saul was true, they were more willing to trust him. So when you got this issue in another city that you need to send somebody that's got to operate on their own, they, they can't write you a quick note and ask you what you want them to do. It'll take time. Let's send somebody we can trust. Let's send somebody who's been proven because they've already worked in little ways. This is what Jesus says, that we gotta, if we are faithful in a little, we will be faithful with much, right? And so Barnabas has proven to be trustworthy because he was faithful and trustworthy in the little things he'd already done. And so now he is the, the emissary for the church in Jerusalem. He is going to Antioch to see what is going on. And, and, and for us, you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm not getting the thing I want to do. We have to remember to start off with the little things. Maybe even look for what are the little things I can do where I can prove myself to be trustworthy, not only to other people, but maybe to myself. And in doing that, then others will see us as trustworthy and, and give us more to do. So they send Barnabas off to Antioch. And we're told in verse 23, when he arrived, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So, so Barnabas shows up, and, and depending on who he is, you know, if he was one of the people who says, hey, you've got to become a Jew to become a believer, you know, he might have said, hey, this is good, but we need to start circumcising all these men. If he, if he was one of the people that just knew that you had to be a Jew to become, he might have told him, hey, you guys need to stop preaching to all these Gentiles. It doesn't matter what's happening. That's not good. But instead, he shows up, and like Peter, who said, whoa, the Holy Spirit came upon all these people. Who am I to stand in the way of God? Let's baptize them. In the same way, Barnabas shows up, and he witnessed the grace of God. He recognized it as the grace of God. He said, this, is, this isn't human, this is God working. And he rejoiced to see it, 
And he began to encourage, there's that word, encourage. The son of encouragement. He's encouraging them. He's edifying them and building them up. He starts encouraging them and with a resol- all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And we're told why he did this. Because he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was willing to change when he saw God was doing something different than what he was doing. He was willing to adapt and understand and see that God was doing other things. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And so instead of showing up and saying, well, this is what we do in Jerusalem, instead of showing up and saying, ah, this isn't good, these Gentiles are bad people, instead he witnessed the grace of God. Barnabas focused on what the Holy Spirit was doing instead of what he thought should be happening. He was willing to respond to the Holy Spirit. He was willing to to accept that things had changed. That's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes I wonder if the church in Jerusalem is really happy with Barnabas' work because we know that this is an issue going down the road. We know that later on, after Barnabas and Saul go on a missionary journey and they come back, that Jewish believers from Jerusalem come up to Antioch and are trying to convince and force people to be circumcised because they believe, firmly believe, you've got to be circumcised to be a believer. And so this doesn't doesn't end. This issue does not end. But Barnabas sets himself up straight away to be on the side that says, I see God's grace at hand. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit more than I trust my own traditions. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit more than I trust my own desires. This is a good thing I see happening. And he's excited about it. You know, we, my family's been watching the, the, this serial, this episodic, uh, this you know, bunch of episodes. I don't want to say TV show because it's not on TV, but this pseudo TV show called The Chosen. Uh, they're, they're finishing up the second season tonight. But through it, already the the Jewish leaders are frustrated with Jesus and angry with him for healing people. And it's so stark just to see the, how dare you preach words that we don't have the ability to refute. How dare you heal people on the Sabbath? How dare you heal people in the name of God and claim to be the Son of Man? They are so full of their own traditions that it's hard for them to, be, to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can get that way too sometimes, can't we? This is the way I came to faith. It's the way other people should come to the faith. And, and we see something going on and it looks different than what we do. And we think, well, that, that can't be right. It's different than what we do. And, and sometimes we're so full of our own traditions, we can't see that maybe God's working in that other way. I saw an article the other week, it was a Baptist blog, and it was saying, is, are, elders, are elders Baptistic? And I read that and thought, what does it matter if they're biblical? You know, do we really hold up Baptistic above biblical? Or, or should we bend our Baptistic nature to the Holy Spirit and to the Bible? I, I, I thought it was an interesting... I understood where the question was coming from, but it was setting up, and I, I'm not painting the full picture of the article, but it was. It was setting up our tradition 
and, and not giving time to say, well, wait a minute, maybe our tradition needs a course correction somewhat. Because they are in Scripture. What do we do about that? Barnabas is willing to, to accept what he's seeing because he is focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing, not on his own desires. Not only that, what I love about Barnabas is he shows up and this great thing is happening and, and, and he could just stay there and ride that wave. He could participate. In fact, he is. He's encouraging them. And we see that considerable numbers are being brought to the Lord, probably because, Barn I mean, there were already numbers coming to the Lord, but now because of his encouragement and his blessing and his work, even more considerable numbers are coming to the Lord as he is kind of taking ownership and leadership in this ministry in Antioch that he did not start. And in that moment, in verse 25, he leaves. Verse 25 tells us, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember the last time we saw Saul, he was getting out of Jerusalem and he was being taken to Tarsus to escape the Jews who wanted to kill him. Saul is just languishing in Tarsus. He, he's kind of been pushed off to the edges. Doesn't know what to do. People don't know what to do with him. We don't know why he does it, but Barnabas left for Tarsus, to look for Saul. And verse 26 tells us, and when he had found him, so he even didn't even have the address. He just went to Tarsus. And he had to look for him. He had to find him. He had to ask people about him. And he had to hunt him down. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He went off, took however long it took, weeks, months. He left the ministry he was a part of so, so he could go find Saul. And he searched for him, and when he found him, we, don't, we, we never hear directly that Barnabas said anything. But he brought him. He said, come on, Saul. I want you to be a part of something I'm doing. And he brought him. We don't see that the Lord told him to go get him. But he went and got him. And he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, so it's no longer just, I mean, as soon as Barnabas is given a task to do, as soon as Barnabas is sent off on, on his own to go and take care of something responsible, uh, a responsibility for the church in Jerusalem, what does he do? He goes and gets somebody to come and do it with him. And they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. He brings Saul into the work. He brings Saul alongside of him. He brings Saul to work with him there at the church. He was probably, as he was there in Antioch, thinking to himself, I know who would be good here. I know who could help me. He wasn't thinking about somebody he was hanging out with in Jerusalem. He was thinking about somebody that got sent off to Antioch. Maybe ever since Saul got sent off to Antioch, Barnabas has just been, uh, stew not stewing in a bad way, but just mulling it over. What about Saul? What's going to happen to Saul? Where'd Saul go off to? I wonder what Saul's up to now. And the first chance he gets, he runs off and gets Saul and brings him into this ministry with him and they serve together. Barnabas worked to include Saul in the ministry. It took work. He had to go find him. He had to bring him in. He worked with him while he was doing it. Consider this. The only thing we know about Saul at this point is he's really good at getting people to want to kill him. 
Just, do you know somebody that maybe they say the right thing, but nobody wants to listen to them? Maybe they know the truth, but the way they have of communicating that truth turns people away. It's too much. Remember, who'd Saul keep getting in trouble with? First it was in Damascus, then in Jerusalem it was with the Hellenistic Jews, the people who had been closest to the Gentiles. And they want to kill him. I can kind of relate to that. I know I was like that when I was a young guy. Uh, You know. I wonder if Barnabas brings Saul along and in this year is teaching him how to teach. Saul is a Pharisee. I wonder how much of that Pharisee aspect of who he is needed some Barnabas rubbing it off. Some Barnabas who is gracious. Some Barnabas who is kind and thoughtful. Some Barnabas who's an encourager to other people. You know, we have a way sometimes, I think, of reading the book of Acts where in chapter 13, they're sent off on a missionary journey and Saul just starts talking and we just accept it because he wrote half of this. So obviously, he's a great teacher and we forget maybe, maybe somebody had to teach him how to be such a great teacher. And maybe in this year in Antioch, Barnabas is working with Saul. And Saul's learning how to teach. He has the knowledge, but maybe he's learning how to speak it in such a way that people will actually listen to him. Reminds me of when we go out uh, door to door when, uh, you know, a couple years ago we we did it again and, uh, you know, Pastor Brian said, okay, just... You know, we would pair up and those who had done it before and those who hadn't done it. And what we would do is the first time you went to a door, the person who had done it before would do all the talking. And it's just, just stand here and, and, and smile and, and nod and be an encourager. Do that after a couple of houses. And then you say, well, why don't you knock on the door and say hi? And then I'll, I'll share some other stuff. And then you get to the point where you say, well, why don't you... Do it, and I'll be right here next to you, and if, if, if you need some guidance, I'll, or if you need me to step in, I'll step in. But you, you do it. You've listened to me do it. You've seen it's nothing. Why don't you try it? And you get to the point where you can say, okay, why don't you go find somebody else to take along with you? Let them watch you do it. Let them knock on the door after a couple of times. You know, you, you learn by doing with. You go alongside of, and then... You get a little extra and a little extra until you're doing it and they're watching and then the next thing you know, they're encouraging you to find somebody else to go do it because you don't need the person who has taught you anymore. I wonder if that's what Barnabas does with Saul. He works to include Saul in the ministry. He works to help shape Saul and bring Saul along. And we're told that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And what Luke does is he's ending things on a high note. You notice that? Where where more people are coming to faith. The church is in peace. This is when they're first called little Christs, which is what Christians mean, that they represent, they look like Jesus, the Messiah. I wonder if you can think of somebody in your life that has brought you along like Barnabas did for Saul. 
Maybe you were just minding your own business and somebody said, why don't you come work with me on this ministry? Why don't you come along with me and help me install this item? You know, we got our hot water heater replaced recently and it was a crew, a dad and a son, and obviously the dad knows all the stuff he's doing, but the son is learning. He's, he's fetching, he's putting parts on. At some point, the time will come where it'll be the son who's doing the welding, where it'll be the son who does some of the install, and the dad will just be watching, making sure he did it right, checking his work after. But the hope is, is that someday that son will be able to go on a crew of his own and he'll be the one taking the jobs, and he'll have a helper with him. Because he'll know everything that his father knew. And he'll be able to do it. Who's done that in your life? Maybe they've done it in in a work environment. Maybe they've done it in the church where they just said, come alongside of me. Let me show you how to do this. Who have you ever asked to come alongside of you and work? Have you ever done that, encouraged them, taught them? I don't do that nearly enough. This discipleship stuff, it's messy. It's time-consuming. It requires us to be in our lives together. And it can be difficult. And so, and sometimes it's just hard to find who is that person to bring? Who is that person to to say, come alongside? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But I want to encourage us. How can we be edifiers, people who encourage those around us to serve and to work, to show them how to do something new. You know, you can't teach your class forever. You can't serve in one way forever. It's Sooner or later, it's going to go away, or we're going to go away. We've got to be bringing people along, saying, go ahead and try it. That's one of the things I love about what we're able to do up here on the platform, that the kids... They're not experts when they get up here. They're learning. They're coming alongside. They're being taught you know, how to sing, how to play, how to work together as a team. And it's taking years. And we get to see their development, but at first, there are some rough times, aren't there? We bring in students from seminary, pastors, worship leaders, and it can be rough at the beginning. Some of those first sermons... You've forgotten them because God is gracious. But then they grow and they learn and we bring them alongside. I want to encourage us to be looking for those that we could bring alongside. That we could encourage and teach just like Barnabas did for Saul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much. It's easy to go on too long We can go on too long. Well, I don't know that we can ever go on too long about your grace, about Jesus Christ. But it's easy sometimes when we're so enthralled to just keep going. Lord, I thank you for this man in the Bible named Barnabas. I thank you for his work. I I look forward to the day to meet him. To get to know him better than we can. Lord, we thank You for His work and His, His, His presence, His attitude and His spirit that, that, that He is such a godly man. He is focused on where You're headed and the things that You're doing. 
And he's looking for how he can encourage the church there. And he's looking for who can I bring in here that will help us grow and, and shape us and also at the same time maybe help that person grow. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts like Barnabas. That we would seek to build one another up and, and encourage one another. That we would be looking for those, those tasks that we can do and maybe that we know somebody that could help us do them. Maybe we can see a task, an activity, and we know a person that could do it, but they need guidance, they need encouragement. They need to be taught. Lord, help us to have a heart willing to, to take the time and the energy and the effort to guide them and to teach them. Lord, I pray for the ways that we're going to be able to live this out in the next couple of weeks when, when we get to arts camp and, and we're, we're having kids teaching and kids helping. I pray that as adults we would encourage them and help shape them and help them to grow. I pray for us in our places of work, Lord. Maybe, maybe we need to be reminded today, to, to even in where we work or even at home, not to just do everything ourselves, but bring people along. Teach them what we know. Help them to grow. Lord, I pray that, that we would be gracious and generous with the gifts that you have given us. And just as quickly as you give us a blessing, Lord, I pray that, that we would be looking for those that we could bless. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.